For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Ron Wilhoyt entitled, Thy Will Be Done. Mr. Wilhoyt. Thank you, Reg. Well, I tell you what, to that music and to that prayer and to seeing each of you today, I just want to say hallelujah. That sounded fantastic. Some of my favorite songs, some of my favorite words contained within those. And just for a second, well, maybe two, I thought I was at the feast. You ever have one of those kind of -of out-of-body experiences? How we love the Feast of Tabernacles, how we love to be here on the Sabbath, how we love to be amongst one another, knowing the relationship that we have with one another before Almighty God. Well, it was recent that I was looking for something. I thought I knew where it was, because what it was was a particular note that I had written years ago, concerning a particular scripture from a certain sermon that I had heard, so I had to go to the catalog of instances. That's what I call it. It's my catalog of instances. I don't have an office, but I do have a desk. And within that desk, I've got one of those pull-out drawers. Behold, the catalog of instances. What it is, it's 20-plus Years of sermon notes, notes I've prepared, notes I've taken, Bible studies, articles, you name it. It's in the catalog of instances. Because what it is to me, it's not just notes. It's more than just notes. It's the memories of where I took the notes, why I made the notes who I was with, where we were at. And looking over the years, you know, there are a few of us in this room who have done really quite a bit of traveling in preparing Bible studies and sermons and speaking. Henrietta, McAllister, Oak Mulgee, Dallas, Oklahoma City. Wherever we've gone for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Word of God takes us places. But the Word of God can also take us places just in our very heart and our very mind. But I call it the catalog of instances because what it is to me is certain elements of these notes that I have. They remind me of when the scripture, when the word of God became more to me than just something written in a particular font in a book, but it actually changed me. Not just changing me, but radically changing who I am and changing the way that I perceive things. My viewpoint about most things have been changed directly by the Word of God. The moment when I realized I did not have a clue, I think that's when I offered myself to God Almighty to teach me and show me. Show me what you're about. Show me what your Word is about. And how can I align myself with you? It's my catalog of instances Sometimes we can be reading scripture and we can look at it and something quite radical and quite amazing can happen 
And I know there's been other people who have referred to it this way, and I have myself in the past, particularly concerning the Moed, the feasts, when we read about it in Genesis 1. But it's like your own little personal road to Emmaus situation. Of when you're going along as they were, and then something radically happens in your life. Now, remember, it was those post-resurrection hours that it was Mary who thought the resurrected Jesus was the gardener, right? And she wanted to know, just tell me where you've put the body. But then in another form, he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. Now, what transpired in Luke concerning that part of the walk that unrecognized Messiah joined these two deserves its own message. But I want to begin today by looking at after the journey ended. And it's Luke 24. Luke 24 and verse 28. Luke 24 and verse 28 says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. But notice this next verse, Luke 24 and verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. That's what I mean by that personal road to Emmaus, actually arrival at Emmaus moment. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Has that ever happened to anyone in this room? I don't mean Jesus appearing to you unrecognized. But I mean a moment and time in your life that when the scripture is opened to you, leaving your heart burning as the reaction. If it hasn't, and you continue to walk, it will. But to those of us who it has happened to, do you think about those moments? Do you think about those moments that the scriptures were opened up to you and your heart actually burned by what you just saw, what you just felt, what you just understood, and the change that it can make in the very physical aspects of our body, the power of the Word of God to actually change the way that you feel. Life's very busy. I talk with Renee Steele about this a lot, how life can sometimes be the day planner. And it is a lot. 
you have children, when you work, when you do things, there are these things that just have to get done, but you get lost at times within the schedule that you sometimes don't have time to stop and reflect about the impact that the scriptures have had, are having, and will have in your life. Those moments when you can see something, something you've read, something you've heard for years. But then one day, there's one day that something happens, something changes in you when that scripture is opened up to your understanding and the impact that it makes to you. And I love the way they say that did not our hearts burn as he walked with us and just opened the scripture up to us. It's a personal road to Emmaus, and we've all had them. And if you haven't, let me encourage you, keep walking. Keep walking. You know, I've known most of you a very long time in this room, some of you decades Anthony, I think it's a week now. So, a week to a decade. Knowing you as family, knowing you, knowing you as brothers, knowing you as sisters, knowing some of you as father-type figures and even mother-type figures. Dear people, dear people sitting in this room, every one of you. And knowing you, and knowing that you're here, knowing where we are, knowing what we're doing. If someone is viewing that I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I might just a little. If I could say this, I think that there is something, though, that within each one of us does cause our heart to burn to some degree. And what that is are the words that Barnabas Grayson chose to title his sermon last week. Anyone want to venture the title of the sermon Barnabas gave last week? It was, Thy Kingdom Come. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom message. It's the message we never tire of hearing. The kingdom message is that stoking rekindler if your heart is just sitting there barely glowing on embers. The kingdom message definitely makes our hearts burn because we anticipate and we know because we have the prophecies of the living word of God of what is going to happen and each of us desire to play a major part as much as his will will allow in the transformation this very planet. If that doesn't cause something within you to stir a little bit, we're going to pray for you. Because when you think about the magnitude of what we're being able to see as the years go on and we understand the path we take in the Moed, Mikra, the appointed times of God, the more he is allowing us to see about the just incredible magnitude of his plan and what he has planned if we will continue to walk that walk and have those heart burning moments by having his scriptures 
opened up to each one of us. Okay, from memory. Here's a little challenge. You have to do this by memory. What flows next? Thy kingdom come. Hey, doesn't that flow beautifully? That's where I'm at today. Thank you, Barnabas, for prompting me, making me think about the kingdom. We're not too far removed yet from the feast. It was nice to think those kingdom thoughts, think about the feast, and have that little stoking happen when we contemplate the very kingdom of God. We remember what the context was of those words. When we read that it was Jesus, Messiah, what prompted him to say these things? Do you remember what it was? If we look at Matthew 6, look at Matthew 6, what prompted Jesus to say these things? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We look in verse 5 and he says, when you pray. Matthew 26, I'm sorry, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray. When you pray. It's a pretty good warning on how you ought to do it. Because I don't want to see you over there praying so you can be seen. It's like over there on the street corner. Look at me, you bunch of sinners. I'm praying to God. I'm glad I'm not like you. The first thing he says, it's hypocritical. Don't be hypocritical, but what? Go shut the door. Go shut the door. And we do that. We shut the door. It's quiet. Whether on my knees or my arms raised high, I'm before my God exactly as Messiah instructed. So we're not like the hypocrite. Not saying that while we're still wearing this, there aren't times when we can be hypocritical. But how we try to the measure of Jesus. But then he continues in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be like them. Something about that whole reward thing. They've got theirs. And when you compare that to the reward of what the Father is offering, you can keep any reward down here. You can't compare. But he says, In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's next? In earth, right? In earth, as it is where? Okay, so according to Messiah, according to Jesus, according to the Master, the Father's will, God's will, is being done in heaven. Would you agree with that? So the question is, how much of His will is being done on earth? How much 
of the Father's will is being done on earth. Well, those of you that went to Branson this year for the feast and that were there the day that Matt Steele spoke, I have to put that message that he gave as probably one of the all-time top ten messages because it did what Ken talked about when we prayed before coming out. It challenged me to think a little bit about myself. And I haven't stopped really thinking about the things that he said at the feast in that message when he was talking about God's will. I'm just going to give you kind of what I took from it. You could hear the same thing. You're going to, how'd you get that? It's what I got. It's what I got. There's a times in life, <clears throat> just in life, we're all living one. You got your good days, you got your bad days, you got your days and you think, surely there's not one more thing that's going to happen. And then you got those that you say things are going really pretty good. Shh, be quiet. Just go hide. In our minds, in praying for certain things, in discussing things with other people, situations that go on in life, we have an idea of how we would like to have the situation resolved. Maybe even before we pray about it, before we talk about it, we have in our minds an idea of how we would like to see it kind of all shake out. Hey, I need some prayer. Looking for a new job. Hey, I need some prayer. I'm thinking about getting married. Hey, I need some prayer. One of my sons. You know the list. All of these things. But when this happens, and when situations don't transpire exactly how we had them planned that they should, do we have the tendency, do we have the tendency to default to the negative and assume that I, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. And then we just get on down the road. Whether it's in our lives or whether we hear about situations and circumstances in other people's lives, when we hear how things happen, that don't really fit according to how we feel they should, is there a tendency to assume and guess, I guess, it just wasn't God's will? Boy, that really got me to thinking. So I have a take-home, a takeaway from that sermon. And it was in my catalog of instances because I put it in there because I wanted to remember this. Because, brethren, I don't want to default to anything negative when talking about Almighty God and His will that I am to pray be done here as it is there. In the tendency to default to the negative, 
when things don't transpire how we feel they should? Is God's will determined by our judgment concerning a certain result? Say it once more. Because I want you to think about this beyond today. Because I sure have. Is God's will determined by our judgment concerning a certain result in our lives or in the lives of others? And I say caution. 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 Can you see it flashing before your eyes? Caution, caution, caution in rationalizing with dangerous casualness. Rationalizing with dangerous casualness in discerning God Almighty's will in any particular situation. And it is. It can be a dangerous casualness when we assume anything about the will of Almighty God. I would encourage you to listen to that sermon. Matt's not here today, so I thought I could brag on him just a little bit. Of course, it's not Matt. It's Matt's willingness to let the Holy Spirit speak through him to edify every one of us. That's the job. That's the job. And we have Ray here today. That the Holy Spirit will flow through him and we will all be edified by what he says and with Morris and with Steve and all of the people here. Some of the better sermons, some of the better words come from the loving sisters, loving brothers, loving mother type figures that have that incredible way of saying what you need to hear in just that instant. Make yourself available to minister at any moment. Keep praying to God to have a burning heart and the scriptures continuing to be opened, opened, opened to you. If it has not happened, I encourage you to continue walking because it will happen. Messiah has a lot to say. Jesus has a lot to say concerning the will of the Father. But remember what Jesus said. He says, if you hear my words and you do them, he likens you to that word ill you prayed in his prayer. When you hear his words, and you do the words that Jesus said, he says he likens you to being wise. Wise. Of course, not in our own eyes. But the wisdom that can only come from having the scriptures opened up to you, and the burning heart as the reaction to having the scriptures opened to you. But what's amazing is that over the years certain bits of scripture can do just a little bit of burning, a little bit of opening. Give it about ten more and then you can see a fullness. And that's not going to stop. It's not going to stop if we continue. 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 I'm a big fan of the threefold chord method of scripture. Threefold chord. In ropes, not easily broken. But a threefold chord of scripture from Jesus cannot be broken. 
three points I want to make concerning the will of the Father and the words of Jesus with a question that I asked. How much of his will is being done on earth? Let's begin in John 6, verse 38. Concerning the will of the Father, the authority concerning the will of the Father. John 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came to do the will of the Father. As Jesus was doing the will of the Father, how much of the Father's will was being done on earth? in everything that he was doing. Now, look at Matthew 12, verse 30. I'm going to add this together. You'll see how this threefold cord, the lifeline. Said previous, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and he instructs all that will hear the next. He that is not with me is against me. He came to do the Father's will. And he that's not with him is against him. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. Are we gathering? Are we gathering? Or are we scattering? Are we with him? As we go to verse 46, it gets a little more personal. And this is where you really have to pay attention. When I say that I'm speaking to myself, I really, really need to pay attention to this one. That's why it's the third of the threefold cord. In Jesus' words, Matthew 12, 46. Breaking in while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. He's speaking. Family's outside. Tell Jesus we want to talk to him. There's my son in there. Tell Jesus we want to talk to him. Then one said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren stand without desiring to speak with you. Notice what he says. But he answered and said unto them that told him, he says, Who is my brother? Who is my mother? And who is my brethren? He says, and he stretched forth his hand toward the disciples. I don't know how many. It could have been all around him. However many people he was talking to, he spreads forth his hands to these disciples and he says, Behold, my mother and my brethren. But it's verse 50. Of Matthew 12. Jesus said he came to do not his own will, but the will of the Father. And you're either with him or against him. But notice verse 50. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So I'm going to rephrase that question. 
So how much of God's will is being done on earth by you and I? How much of God's will is being done on earth by you and I with what Jesus just told us? It's the psalmist in one of my favorite psalms that petitions God. He said, Eternal, cause me to hear you. Cause me to hear you early in the morning. When I pray that, I add a little Ron something in parentheses. It's not just cause me to hear you early in the morning. I'm praying that, God, you will cause me to hear you early in every situation that I'm going to be faced with today. I want to hear you. The psalm continues, is cause me to know the way in which I am to go. Cause me to hear you. Cause me to know. But this other aspect of this psalm fits so beautifully in as I begin to close today. The psalm says, teach me to do. Teach me to do. Teach me to do thy will. For you are my God. So how are we taught to do his will? How are we taught to do his will? How does he teach us to do his will? I want to close in Psalm 40. There's so much concerning God's will. The authority, supreme authority of the Almighty. When Jesus instructs us and encourages us to pray concerning the kingdom of God and that His will be done, are we just to kind of sit back and kind of make a judgment on how we think things should fall out and how it worked out? Well, I guess that wasn't God's will. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that was God's will. So we're just kind of haphazardly guessing about what's going on. Do you want to be Jesus' brother? Do you want to be Jesus' sister? We're either with him or against him. And he says, who are these? They're the ones that do my Father's will. It's in the doing. In Matthew 6, he talks about this concerning prayer, but in Matthew 6, he talks about this concerning life when we're fretful and anxious and wound up. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to what? Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom and the righteousness of the Father. So how are we taught to do His will? How does He teach us to do His will? I want to close with Psalm 40, verse 8. Psalm 40, in verse 8, exactly the mindset and heart set that Jesus had here on earth doing everything according to God's will. Psalm 40 in verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will. I delight to do thy will 
O my God, yea, thy law, thy Torah instruction, the law, the Torah, the teaching, the principles of God Almighty is within my heart. It's within the heart. That's the heart, the place that's supposed to burn, right? As the scriptures are opened up to us, that heart burns, just like it did to those two back then on the road to Emmaus.